Well, uh, the Christmas season is definitely upon us. As you can tell, we have passed out some resources to y'all even this morning, and uh, it is really gearing up pretty, pretty quickly around here. And, um, uh, but with that said, um, I just want to tell you that don't you know that you are always the best resource, <laughs> and uh, that statistically speaking, 80% of the time, if you invite a friend or neighbor or coworker at Christmas time that does not have a place to call home, they will say yes. That is a statistic that is just bedrock that's been consistent for years. And so um, kind of building off of what we just came out of with Living Water, one of their um, uh, kind of pillars of what they do is they listen and they pray and they respond and they activate. And so here's what we're going to ask you to do this week to kind of engage. Uh, we're going to ask you, um, on your way in, you got these little uh, prayer, these little invitation cards. And we would love for you this week um, to spend some time walking through your neighborhood and praying very, very specifically um, for the houses around you, praying for your neighbors. See what God be, kind of begins to stir up in you. And then we're going to ask you to take a bold step on top of that is to do something to reach out, to be generous to them. And that could be multiple different things. Uh, uh, We have some sweet little neighbor girls that came and uh, dropped off some gifts to my two girls. And I'm like, that is so beautiful right now. Or maybe for you, uh, it is you bake some cookies for your neighbors and you leave it on their front porch with an invitation to one of our Christmas Eve gatherings. But we're going to ask you to pray this week and walk the neighborhood and do something intentionally to engage with your neighbors who you might not normally do that with, all with the hopes of creating home. That we just believe that at Christmas Eve, everybody needs a place to call home, that everybody needs a family to belong to, and that God might use this place to make that a reality. So I would hope that you would engage with us and uh, take that challenge because the holiday season is on us. My goodness, uh, tomorrow night I have my daughter's uh, jazz, not jazz flute, but uh, flute uh, Christmas performance. Uh, Wednesday night we have a Christmas party. Uh, next Sunday night we have our life group Christmas party. Monday night we have our staff Christmas party. Then we have a neighborhood Christmas party. And then I got to put up the, the, all the Christmas lights and the decorations and the presents and Elf on the Shelf, and all of the things. And goodness gracious, we're, we've barely scratched into December, and I'm already tired about all of the things that are on my agenda. And what I've found out for the last many, many years of rolling into this is that oftentimes I clutter up Christmas. And it feels, honestly, really exhausting And by the time Christmas Eve rolls around, it's almost like I get to this place where I don't know if I'd have the courage to say it, but at least I kind of feel it in my inner being is, thank God it's over. I'm tired. And so here's what we're going to do. Rather than roll in with that as kind of so many of our realities and expectations, what if we began to make room for the things that matter most? And so for the next three weeks, kind of leading up to Christmas, we're going to be engaging in a series called Making Room. And we're going to push into the idea of not putting the things that matter most on the back burner. We want to make room for the things that matter most. 
And real specifically, this morning, we're going to be looking at at, uh, a story, one of my favorite stories in the Christmas story, and we're going to be leaning into this idea of how do you make room for the messiness of Christmas? Because you and I, we need to let go of the picturesque moment where we, on the 25th of Christmas, have this beautiful sunlight come down on the gift and all of the family is around the tree and it's all jolly and bright and it's this magical picture that unfolds that at least that's my reality that's my expectation and maybe take on a a little bit more of a biblical expectation to connect with the biblical story because the biblical narrative the biblical story of christmas is anything but clean and pretty and nice in fact it is really i mean friends it is a really messy story. This morning we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Joseph, somebody I think, you know, when you kind of get to the Christmas story that often gets overlooked in the Christmas narrative. But I think he has something very profound to teach us about how to engage in the middle of messiness. And what we're going to see this morning is an invitation for you and me that we are the type of community, that this is the type of house, that we are the type of family that learns how to love in the middle of all of the messiness of Christmas. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, or as Jason talked about, please go over to your uh, Bible app, the U version of it. It'll also be up on your screens. But we're going to be jumping into uh, the book of Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew is, of course, the first book of the Newer Testament, which is in the back third of your Bible. And so you're going to find Matthew 1, and we're going to start down in verse 18, and we'll take a look real specifically about how do you love in the middle of the messiness of Christmas. So let's read this. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, that's sexually is what they're talking about, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful man and was faithful to the law, he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, I know you never fight with your spouse, but the hinky binds do. We do. We often find ourselves getting sideways and frustrated with each other. And let me be honest, over the last 17 years, we've gotten a heck of a lot better at how we fight. And, uh, but that was not always the case early on, and particularly early on in our marriage, where we were not the type of couple, I mean, it happened where you had the big explosive fight, but we were more of the, you know, the paper cutters, where we just kind of, yeah, yeah, that's the way that we kind of fought. And this was like early on, before we had kids, probably 12 years ago, and uh, before Ryan, my oldest, was born, before Maggie was born, and it always seems to happen this way. Um, I was doing student ministry at the time, and when I would come back from some sort of a retreat or some sort of a mission trip, that's when the wheels would come off for me and Christy. And it was like no surprise Um, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, no doubt I probably haven't slept all week long from being with our students, and I've poured myself out, and I'm just exhausted, 
which means I'm not at my best and I'm pretty short and I don't respond the way that I would hope to respond to my bride. And I remember uh, it was right uh, before Father's Day, so we were coming home from a mission trip before we had kids. And me and Christy have been uh, on the phone kind of paper cutting each other all week long. Just not big fights, but just chirping. And um, I had just finished dropping off all of the kids at the Crossroads building. Does anybody remember the Crossroads building? The Crossroads building is, uh, you may not know this, but for two-thirds of the history and life of Riverside, uh, we were a mobile church. In fact, this location has not existed very long if you look at the history of Riverside. But we rented this really dumpy uh, uh, metal building right where Aichiwawa is right now. And we rented it, and uh, we used it for like student ministry and for Young Life, and it was, it was filthy. You needed to shower after you got out of that place. It was pretty run down. And uh, I remember Christy picked me up, and we were pulling out of... Uh, the Crossroads building on 281, and I'm, and I'm kind of fussy, let me be honest, and I'm chirping at her, and all of a sudden, she pulls the car over to the side of the road. Now, men, let me be honest, she turns the blinker on and she pulls the car over. That is not a good day. You know that it is about to go down, and I'm thinking, oh, man, here she, she's, she's got, I've been letting her kind of, I've been fussing at her. I guess it's her turn. It's about to go down. She doesn't say a word. And this card right here changed my life. This one right here. She doesn't say a word. She hands me this card. And I'm, let me be honest, I'm still fuming right now and I'm a little panicked because she's just pulled the car over. And she says to me, this card says this, to my husband with love on your first Father's Day. And I was so mad. I didn't, I'm like, why would you buy me this card? I don't have, I'm, you're not even, why would you buy me this card? And I read the inside and you can see there's a big water stain on it. It's been, you know, 13 years ago that she gave me this card and said, happy Father's Day. You're going to be a daddy. And I remember thinking, <laughs> and, I, and I thought, don't judge me. But the first thing I thought is, that's why you've been so fussy lately. <laughs> right? But, and uh, that card changed everything, and it suddenly took out all of kind of the messiness of what was going on, and that's what a pregnancy should do, shouldn't it? It like, oh, thank you, Jesus, this is beautiful. It's not the case for Mary and Joseph, was it? This pregnancy complicated things. It made things really, really messy. I mean, it was not something that anybody had expected whatsoever. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. In those days, those marriages were arranged. And imagine Joseph going to his parents one day and say, Mom, Dad, I've seen this girl in the village over. I've seen this girl in the town over. And she's beautiful. And she's faithful. And she loves God with all of her heart. And so the two families come together and they sit down over a family meal. And imagine if you're Mary and Joseph. Do you remember if you're married the first time your, your parents met? And that, like, butterflies you had in there. Imagine the butterflies of Mary and Joseph as they, as they sat down with their parents. And the parents are praying and discerning. And they say, yes, we believe 
that this is God's best for you. We believe that this is what God has intended for one another. And think about the conversations that Joseph and Mary had to had. Think about stepping into the, me- the messiness of the story. Imagine what it would have been like because Mary goes away, if you read in another gospel account in the Gospel of Luke, Mary goes away for like four months and she's come back and she's got a baby bump. Imagine if you're Joseph and Mary comes and she's talking about, don't worry, I still love you, but this is God's baby inside of me. Imagine the messiness of their story. And here's something I want you to consider this morning. Go ahead. Is that love makes room for the messiness in others. So often we read the Bible backwards, and it's dangerous to do so. When we read the Bible backwards, we don't feel the anxiety and the tension and the uncertainty that Joseph and Mary were walking through because we know how the story unfolds. But if you read the Bible going forward, it's full of these teenagers holding their breath in an incredibly messy circumstance. And what does Joseph say in the middle of the messiness? He says this. Uh, he, he does not say, Mary, I cannot believe you've done this to me. I can't believe you've done this to us. Imagine your fiance, or you're not your fiance, you're, uh, what is it called? You're, when you're engaged, uh, when they come home and they say they're pregnant and you're engaged. Imagine the heartbreak, the confusion, the messiness of what goes on. And Joseph does not say that. He considers Mary. It says in the scripture that he wants to dismiss her privately because the first, his first response is to protect her because love makes room for the messiness in other people. Now, let me just tell you this. My Thanksgiving was pretty messy. I haven't seen my parents in nine months. My mom had cancer a few years back, and she's tucked away with my dad. And so my sisters are on polar opposite ends of uh, how we should be handling the season we're in. And it was anything but pretty. Um, Christy's, my wife's family, uh, had some stuff happen, and it's really messy too. And if, Christmas, if Thanksgiving is any indication of what my Christmas is going to be like, man, I have a really, really messy season over these next few weeks. And I believe what Joseph shows us is that there is a way to love people right in the middle of the messiness, that we let go of the expectations of, hey, get yourself together the story better be nice and clean and pretty in order, f- that's right, in order for me to engage. That's not the Christmas story. In fact, that is not the, what? Let me be honest. Riverside, every time I hear a child in here, I have to say it, it's a sign of a blessing to our church. Kids are life to us, and it's God's favor every time that gets to happen. So I'm just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. 
But I just want to tell you, that's not what God did for us. God made room for us and loved us right in the middle of our messiness. God did not say, hey, listen, John, get yourself together before I'm going to start a relationship with you. John, you better go take a shower and get all that filth off you so that we can be, you know, we can be good together. What does Romans 5 say? While we were yet sinners, God gave his life for us. While we were a long way off, God gave us his best. Now, the story of the prodigal son is that when I was uh, wallowing in pig filth, the eye of the father was beckoning me to come home. Come on, son. I've got the ring. I've got the coat. It's all yours. While I was off doing my own thing, thinking about me and my life, that's when God gave his absolute best for me. What if this holiday season, we followed in the story, we followed in God's example, we follow in how Joseph loved Mary, is that we love people right in the middle of their own messy situation. Because let's be honest, y'all, whose Christmas is going to look really pretty this year? When you think about what's coming, it feels like there's just this weight this, for this year with everything going on and just with the normalcy of life. There's a, there's a whole lot of messiness coming our way. And what if this holiday season that we let go of our expectations, we let go of holding this standard for somebody to make themselves really acceptable that I give them my approval, approval in order for us to love them really well? What if we decided as a church just to love them regardless? What if I decided to love my sister who's on this side regardless? What if I decided to love my sister really well on this side regardless? What if I engage my wife's family in the middle of that messiness just regardless? Why? Because that's the gospel story. That's what God did for each one of us. He loved us in the middle of our messiness. Let's keep going in the story. Let's look it down at verse 20. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, did you ever wonder why God did it this way? It's such a messy story. The angel came to them, not everybody. The angel didn't come to Joseph and Mary's family. The angel didn't come to the town. The angel didn't get on Facebook Live and stream it so that there would be no whispers of a scandal going on. I mean, when, you, when, when somebody looked back at, at Joseph's yearbook, they would say, oh yeah, Joseph, that old dog, we know what happened to him. He was telling one whopper of a story. Like, just because it happened 2,000-some years ago, don't take the humanness out of the story. Mary dreamed of a beautiful wedding a celebration with her, all of her family and friends to, present, to be presented before everyone, holy, purity, and blameless. And now she's clouded in this scandal and these rumors 
And even worse, she's telling this story. No wonder there's no room for her at the end. There's scandal all around her. But I want to show you a really important principle here and there. And it's something that Joseph shows us. In verse 20 it says, but after he considered this. Next thing I want you to see is this. Love makes room by thinking twice before speaking once. Love makes room by thinking twice before speaking once. Joseph considered. He didn't just go off on Mary and let Mary have it. He thought twice before speaking once to the circumstance. Listen, don't ever underestimate the power of sleep. Don't underestimate the power of a nap. Because let me, at least that's what I tell my wife. I'm like, listen, babe, the Lord does some of his best work when we're sleeping. It's what happened in the story. Like, like don't believe me? Like, when did God create Eve? When Joseph was napping. I mean, when Adam was napping. When did Joseph from the Older Testament, when did God give this prophetic word to Joseph? When Joseph was sleeping. There is power when you rest and you take the air out of the circumstances and it's not riding so hot. Tell me how many relationships have been burned because you speak so quickly and hastily out of your mouth. Tell me how many times have you hurt the people around you because you're not thinking twice before speaking once. Think about how many marriages have been tossed away because things get really difficult and they get hard and circumstances and feelings and emotions get ramped up and get really hard and you speak without responding. What if this holiday season you and I decided to slow things down, to move slower, to make room by thinking twice before speaking once? Psalms 103 says this, the Lord is merciful, gracious, and slow to anger. Slow to anger. Don't you know that love moves really slowly in painful seasons? What if you and I didn't give people our first response, but we gave them our best response? And we gave them our best response by not reacting to every little thing going on around us. It's when I do the most damage to the people around me. It's with my family, with our staff, with the people that I interact with, is I'll just start talking. Oh yeah, let me tell you about what I think you should do. And let me tell you what I think you should do and how you should feel about it and how I'm going to be okay, right or wrong, with how you respond about it. And that's not what love is. Love, as we saw, considers, moves slowly in the circumstances and thinks twice before speaking once. It doesn't just always react but it responds. And Joseph shows us this by taking time to consider. What if you and I moved slow and considered? And lastly, I want to finish the story. It says this in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. 
and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave the, the name Jesus. I mean, the story reads like a soap opera. It's so messy. It's so complicated. There is whispers all across the town, conflict in family, conflict with friends. I mean, nothing about this story was convenient for either one of them. It was really actually inconvenient. And I think that's the last thing that I think Joseph has to show us, is that love makes room for being inconvenienced. And I'm afraid that oftentimes, that whenever we come to understanding what God's heart is or what God's will is, we think God's will and our convenience run parallel to each other. And somehow they're going to overlap. And let me be real clear, I don't think that's ever been true for me. Where, where God is calling me is something that's just going to fit into my schedule and real convenient for me. In fact, I think it's actually the complete opposite. I think it's the complete opposite. I think every time that God invites me to something, I'm going to have to be pulled and stretched, and I'm going to have to make room for it in my life. I've never seen, I've never seen God say this to me. Come on, John. Let's huddle up. Let's get together. Let's play it really safe. Let's make sure everything is going to be nice and t- tidy, and we're going to make sure it fits in your schedule, and it's going to be real convenient for you. Most of the time, it's the complete opposite. It's what the scripture says. It says, Paul says it to us. He says, therefore, in view of, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, that you and I die to ourselves so that we can live toward for Christ. Dying to self, not convenient. It's not easy. It's where I put my preferences, my agendas, my experiences, my emotions on the table, and I say, God, they're all yours. I don't live for a me-centered, me-focused life anymore, God-centered, other-focused. Love makes room for being inconvenienced. Joseph wakes up from this dream, from a nap, and despite the circumstances, despite how he feels, despite the awkwardness of it, he walks it out faithfully. Because love makes room for inconveniences. Why? Because people, friends, we need to hear this, people are not an inconvenience. Partnering with God is not inconvenience, but we have to get the the spotlight off of self. The problem is we we, we really enjoy our preferences. We really enjoy our things And we want everything to revolve around us, but love makes room for people. Love makes room for people. Ask, for example, ask any one of our children's ministry volunteers. Ask anyone that volunteers in the student ministry, hey, is this convenient for your schedule? Ask any one of them, like, why do you come up here on a Wednesday night and corral these rowdy kids Why do you pour yourself out? Why do you step outside of your home every single week? Why do you come to the nursery and hold crying babies and change stinky diapers? Why do you do it? And they're not going to tell you, well, it's because it's convenient. 
they're going to tell you that somehow it's my responsibility. That, yeah, that kid may not belong to me, like, family-wise, but because they are part of this community, they're somehow mine. And I am not going to pass on my responsibility to raise up the next generation of leaders, whether that's changing a diaper or pouring into one of our students in the student ministry. Ask them if it's worth it, and they will tell you every single time. Not because it's convenient, but because it's worth it. Ask any mom, ask any dad that's ever adopted a kid, fostered a kid, if it's convenient. Absolutely not. But because God says that's what pure religion is, to take care of widows and orphans. Sharing Christ, for me, is rarely convenient. (laughs) It's rarely. I would much rather... Let me be honest. I would much rather pull into my driveway and not deal with, I have some fun neighbors on both sides of me, to not deal with my neighbors. It's difficult. There's always drama going on. I would much rather just pull into the driveway and head straight inside and not deal with it. I would much rather go into HEB and put my earbuds in and not engage the people, that the workers, the people that I'm bumping into Because it's really nice just to have some me time where I can zone out. It's rarely convenient for me to share Christ. It's so much easier for me to stick with my friends, with my group, where I feel really comfortable and confident and I can talk about all my stuff and, you know, we laugh and we do all that. And it's really inconvenient for me to make room for new people but I'm just not convinced that anything that's ever worth it is convenient. That the way of Jesus is not convenient, but it is life-giving. This week, when we encourage you, go prayer walk through your neighborhood. Go pray for people around your neighborhood and see what God might impress upon your heart. Bake some cookies. Bake some fudge. Do you bake fudge? You make fudge and you put it on the doorstep of your neighbor with an invitation to Christmas Eve. That's not convenient. But it's faithful. And that's what Jason, uh, Jason, that's what Joseph shows us. Love makes room for being inconvenienced. Even when it's really, really messy, there's a faithfulness that Joseph walks out. Nothing great ever happened by doing what is convenient. It's why here at Riverside, we are always bugging you, bugging you. Hey, are you in a life group? Do you know people around here? Because alone is bad. Even in the middle of COVID, you can connect with people online. You can do a Zoom, but you got to know people. We're always bugging you about that. We're always bugging you. Hey, where are you serving? Where are you pouring your life out? It's not convenient. We know that. We know it's not convenient, but I'm just convinced that church, honestly, friends, should not be a convenient thing. It should be a place where you are bumped. It should be a place where you are challenged. It should be a place where you feel stretched. Why? Because that's how you grow. That's where you welcome the kingdom. When you make room for being inconvenienced, it's actually the place where God dives in and he meets you. Because comfort is our enemy. We have to be willing to embrace being inconvenienced and stretched because that's where the kingdom begins to unfold.